Ukrainian evangelicals would not submit, you know, to Putin like this. So we knew that once they come, evangelicals would be one of their targets. In the Russian world, they need to eliminate everybody who opposes them, everybody who is of influence. Across the world today, millions of Christians are persecuted. They face oppression, imprisonment, displacement, and even death, simply because of their faith in Jesus Christ. These courageous believers are our brothers and sisters. We are in this together with them, and we need to hear their voice. Join host Kenneth as we discover their stories today on Release International's Voice podcast. The war in Ukraine has been prominent in our news headlines over the past year. But how has this conflict impacted Christians there? In the first of a two-part conversation, we speak to Maciek from our sister ministry, Voice of the Martyrs Poland. VOM Poland has been working to support evangelical Christians living in the occupied areas of Ukraine. Well, hello, Maciek, and welcome to the Release International Voice podcast. Thanks very much for taking the time to join us. Oh, hello, Kenneth. Uh, I am joyful to be here with you and with all the listeners in the UK. Now, Maciek, as we know, today we're going to be talking mainly about the situation in Ukraine and the suffering of Christians there. But before we get into all of that, uh, just tell us a little bit about yourself, your faith, coming to faith, and tell us a little bit about Voice of the Martyrs Poland. Yes, so I was born in 1968 in a communist Poland that was dominated by the Soviet Union at that time. And so we were, we were forced, for example, to, to learn Russian at, at, in, in our schools. We didn't like it, but they forced us to do it. But then, you know, the Lord played a trick on them because I got saved in 1989 in a church started by American and Finnish missionaries. And it was a very missionary uh, church, mission-oriented church. So then in a few years, God called me to be a missionary in Moscow. And guess what? I was using my Russian language that communists used to force me to learn. So I was laughing that, you know, communists prepared a missionary to Moscow. And uh, so, and I also made numerous uh, mission trips to Ukraine. And everywhere I went, I could use my Russian language. So... That was very helpful. So, you know, the Lord knows how to turn things around. And uh, and then, you know, uh, I, I became a pastor. I, I served the pastor in uh, in two different locations over the period of 18 years. And in the meantime, the Lord called me and my wife to really start uh, the Voice of the Martyrs ministry in Poland. That's great to hear, and it's great to hear how God in his uh, sovereignty and providence prepares people for ministry and how he uh, prepared you, as you say, to be a, a missionary uh, in Russia. So um, what inspired you to set up this ministry then, to set up Voice the Martyrs Poland? Yes, it was a time of transition in our lives. So it was 2004. We moved from Warsaw, where I was pastoring a church, to the southern part of Poland uh, because of a tragedy in our family. You know, the brother-in-law of my wife died in a car accident, and um, uh, his wife was left with three small kids. And we felt called by the Lord to come down to the southern part of Poland and help her. 
we thought it would be just for two days, uh, for two, two, two years. But then the Lord prolonged our stay and we live here until today. So it's uh, over 20 years now. But, you know, in this transition period, we had some spare time, let's say, right? Because I had to hand over the pastorate to my assistant. And so I was not pastoring a church at that time. And and since the very formative days of our Christianity, especially mine, I, I heard about Richard Wundbrand, I, I read books. And and then we came with this idea to publish Torture for Christ in, in, in Polish because Richard was not really known well in Poland, even though he was from the Eastern Europe. So we contacted the Voice of the Martyrs in the US and they gave us permission to publish the book and we used our funds and our friends' funds to publish it. And in uh, and at that time, we thought only about publishing a few books. So the first one was Tortured for Christ. And I remember in February 2005, when the book was just, you know, out of the printing shop and it was like warm in my hands. And I came to our church that we attended and was sitting uh, on a balcony with this book in my hands. And my whole purpose was to bring it to this little bookstore in the church and offer it for sale. And then a guest speaker came to the church and he had just 15 minutes. He was from Germany, a Polish person, but from Germany, but very much involved in, in ministering to the persecuted Christians. And usually when he came, he just shared the word of God, you know, and at this time he stood up and the only thing he was speaking about was about starting the mission to help the persecuted Christians in Poland. And his message was very simple. You here in Poland should start a mission to minister to the persecuted Christians in Poland. The Czech Republic already has one, and you don't have a mission like this. You need to start it. So I was sitting there with the you know, torture of, for Christ in my hands, and I felt like it was like burning in my hands, and I was asking the Lord, Lord, are you speaking to me directly? You know, should we do more than just, you know, uh, printing and publishing a book? So after praying for a couple of weeks with my wife, we decided to contact uh, the Voice of the Martyrs and ask them if it would be possible to start a branch mission or like a mission in, in Poland. And as you know, all of the missions within the family of uh, Wurman's missions are independent and they gave us the permission and we started the process of, of uh, developing the mission. In 2007, we got officially registered and since that time, the mission has been, you know, growing and growing and growing and uh, and we are so thankful to the Lord for what we've been able to achieve so far. That's wonderful to hear, Maciek, and it's great to hear how uh, how the Lord works sometimes, doesn't he, through people to, to call us to uh, specific tasks, specific ministries, turning points in our lives and so on. It's great to hear how Voice of the Martyrs Poland uh, began. Now, of course, like Release International, Voice of the Martyrs Poland will be active, I guess, in a number of countries supporting Christians who are persecuted for their faith. And I guess people listening to this podcast will will imagine the sort of countries that we talk a lot about today uh, in terms of the persecution of Christians. So tell us, how did Von Poland come to be involved in Ukraine? Now, I ask that uh, because, of course, the war in Ukraine that's going on at the moment, we both know that it isn't in and of itself about Christians. Nevertheless, um, how did you become aware that Christians were actually suffering persecution in that country? Yes, so 
it wasn't too difficult for us because we live so close to to Russia and Ukraine, you know, and uh, I speak Russian fluently. And uh, so we knew that the so-called Russian world that Russia is trying to introduce, not just in their own country, but wherever they they go, um, was the, in my opinion, the sole reason for for the war in Ukraine. In other words, Putin and his regime uh, have this agenda, you know, to establish, to expand this Russian world. You know, their view of life, their way of life. And basically everything in this world is is to be submitted to Putin and his clique and his regime. And the, the world, the Russian world is totally controlled by KGB, which is now called FSB. The only thing that has changed is the name. But it is, it is the same structure, the same people. And Putin is, you know, a former KGB officer. Then he was the director of FSB. And then after that, just after that, he became the prime minister of Russia and then the president of Russia. So they control this whole system of government. You know, it's in their hands. And they just replace the communist ideology with uh, uh, Moscow Orthodox theology and, you know, to really give something to the masses so that they could have something to believe in and to die for. And the centralized economy collapsed. So, you know, the economy was taken over by the oligarchs, also controlled by Putin and his regime. So they made this a, a few changes, accommodated to the new reality. And then they played West very well, you know, to present themselves as, as some kind of a democracy, modern Russia. But at the same time, they were eliminating, you know, political opponents, killing them and and using the Moscow Orthodox Church as basically their religious arm because it's controlled by KGB. You know, uh, Kirill, Cyril, who is the head of it, is a KGB agent. Basically, everybody knew about it. So if he was a KGB agent in the Soviet Union, he's still connected, probably working for FSB now. So... That's that's the Russian world in a nutshell. Everything is controlled by FSB. Um, every institution works to to promote the system. At the same time, we have uh, had different developments in Ukraine. Of course, Ukraine used to be a part of the Soviet Union, and there is a lot of Soviet heritage in that country. And they, you know, Ukraine has been struggling to really get rid of it, and it's not so easy. Uh, but at the same time. When the Soviet Union collapsed, now 75% of all evangelicals from all over the Soviet Union lived in in the territory of the current Ukraine. So it's a, it, it's a strong force, about 2% of the population, uh, with around 800,000 people, and they are well organized. They have vibrant churches all over Ukraine. And they have strong connections to the West, especially the U.S. and U.K. And uh, many missionaries from Ukraine uh, used to minister in Russia. They were expelled from Russia, but they still have a lot of connections within Russia and a lot of influence. You know, they speak the same language in many cases or they understand, you know, for Ukrainians, Russians, their first language or their second language. And uh, also these churches, the local churches, have a strong influence of the, uh, of the local communities. So since the first day of the war, we knew 
that there would be no place for Ukrainian evangelical believers, churches in the Russian world. We, we saw it in, in Crimea, in the Lugansk and Donetsk so-called republics, when the Russians took them over. They started from really limiting, you know, the possibilities of ministry for evangelicals. They expelled some pastors, they tortured, some were murdered, you know, some buildings were confiscated. So, you know, they, they made it uh, this way so that they, they weakened evangelical Christianity uh, a lot. And uh, they introduced their own Russian laws with, with a lot of more limitations on 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 uh, religion, especially evangelicals, than uh, than in Ukraine. Ukraine evangelicals have had a total freedom of worship, you know, whereas in in Russia it's limited. So, but we knew that uh, that Russians would treat Ukrainian evangelicals much worse than they treat Russian evangelicals because you know they already have these churches in Russia under control. They are infiltrated by FSB. They cannot do much, you know. They need to stay where in the parameters that are, you know, uh, presented for them by, by the Russian government. Whereas in Ukraine, it's a different story. You know, Ukrainian evangelicals would not submit, you know, to Putin like this. So, so we knew that once they come, you, evangelicals would be one of their targets. Because they need to, in the Russian world, they need to eliminate everybody who opposes them, everybody who is of influence, especially those who have strong connections with the West. And so that's why since the very, very first day of the war, we got involved as a mission to really help Ukrainian evangelical church. That's our main mission. So in the beginning of the war, in the first months, you know, the main help we provided was to take care of the refugees among which there were tens of thousands of evangelicals, and we also helped Polish evangelical church to minister to them. And then step by step, we moved inside Ukraine. And at this time, we do what we can to really support uh, Ukrainian evangelical believers in the occupied territories, but also in the war zones, but also in different parts of, of, um, of Ukraine where they minister to the IDPs. There are millions of IDPs in, um, uh, in inside Ukraine and and. Tens of thousands of them are also evangelical believers. So we, we do what we can to really respond to their needs and to, to help them. So can you give us some, uh, perhaps some specific examples uh, of the ways in which Christians uh, in the south and the east of Ukraine have suffered in recent years, either since 2014, when the Russians took over the Crimea, or more specifically, perhaps since uh, the current war began? Yeah. So as we as we look at what's been going on, especially after this whole scale invasion in February last, last year, you know we can see that there is like a five I would say a five point plan to really get rid of evangelicals in Ukraine, uh, Ukrainian evangelicals in Ukraine, because one thing we need to understand about the Russian world that everything in this world is pre-planned. You know, nothing happens by accident. Of course, Russians may make a mistake, and they've done, and they and they've made many mistakes. But it's not that that just. But everything is pre-planned. So if they do something, it's because they've planned it. If something happens, it's because they want it to happen. That's how they work. Even if you think there is some chaos, it's it's just to play the game. But actually, there is a plan behind it. So. What's the plan 
to get rid of Ukrainian evangelical believers. So first of all, they start from disinformation. So for years, this, this information has been going on in Russia and it's still there, right? So uh, Ukrainian believers are sects or they are spies of the West, they are Nazis. Ukrainians as a whole are like a lower class of people than Russians, you know. They, they really need our help. We need to deliver them. But, but Ukrainian evangelicals are a threat to the Russian world because, as I said, they are spies, they are Nazis, they are sects, they are cults, dangerous people, right? So that's what, what's in the minds of an average Russian, an average Russian soldier when they enter Ukraine. Then the second plan is a cruel invasion. You know, it's not, we all know, you know, that killings, murdering, torturing thousands of civilians, that's what Russians have been doing when they were, and where, wherever they entered, right? Kidnapping children by thousands and bringing them over to Russia, Ukrainian children, raping women and girls, plundering. And so that's what they do. They are very, very brutal. And also, uh, you know, bomb civilian targets. So at any time, your house, your apartment building can be destroyed by some missile. You know, so, uh, so it's very, very dangerous for people. So it produces fear. So millions of people are fleeing. Among them, of course, tens of thousands of uh, evangelical believers, mostly young people, you know, and with their wives and children and families, because... Once you stay and you get under Russian occupation, you know, then Russians can do anything to you. They would pressure you to become a Russian citizen. And once you become a Russian citizen, they may, uh, they may uh, enlist you to the Russian army and send you to the front lines. That's what they did with many, many, you know, Ukrainians who, who, who now live in the Lugansk and Donetsk republics. They formed an army out of them and sent them. So, so at this time, uh, you know, as I was talking to, to pastors and leaders, because I've made numerous trips to Ukraine, spent 35 days there on the ground in very dangerous places as well. So I, I have direct contact to many of them. So at this very stage, from 50 to 90% of church members just left. So try to imagine it and think about UK, you know, that's part in part of UK suddenly, you know, so many uh, evangelicals, um, you know, have to flee from, right? And then they target pastors because many pastors stayed behind the front line in the ocup uh, occupied territories to minister to their people. So they put pressure on these pastors to, to become their agents, to, uh, to work for them to take a Russian citizenship. They arrest them, they torture them, uh, they expel them eventually from, from these territories. They, had to, they, have, they have to flee. So now there's no pastor and your congregation is down by 50 to 90%. <laughs> and then, then they confiscate buildings. In one of the cities that they took, I know this pastor very well, the pastor was tortured almost killed, miraculously he survived, but then he had to escape. Then the, the mayor of the city established by Russians came to his church building and, and proclaimed, there would be no God here. And they confiscated the building. They, they robbed a lot of things, equipment from the building. 
And and in the city of Melitopol, around 160,000 people lived, lived there before the war. Many good, solid churches with good infrastructure, nice buildings, really great community. They confiscated all of the church buildings, expelled pastors, arrested them. So now all the churches are underground, meeting small groups. And it all happened within months, you know, not less than a year, six, seven, eight months. So uh, after, let's say, six to eight months from a church that had like a few hundred people, nice building, a pastor committed to the church, you have no pastor in the area, no church building, only usually 20 to 30% of church members who are still there, and they have to meet uh, at home. How would you call it? And, you know, they cut the crosses from all the church buildings, you know, and they turn these church buildings into the facilities that serve their purposes, like a police station, and an army station, or like some cultural events, other to promote, you know, Russian army. And then the fifth point of this program is a, is terror in the occupied territories. So they terrorize people, including believers. It's general, but of course the pressure is on everybody. And they can arrest you for no reason. They can confiscate your belongings for no reason. You know, you have no rights, basically. So if you try to be a little bit independent, if you try to keep your connections with the Western Christians, you are a target. So, of course, not everybody can live under such pressure and more people escape. Others go deeper and deeper into hiding and they don't do much because they are afraid. And this thing continues. You know, we've just... Uh, assisted um, a pastor who had to flee from the occupied territories after a long time trying to serve there. So step by step, they, they do it in this way. At this time, we've had a few martyrdoms. They do not kill pastors like regular, like ISIS, because they still need to play the game with the West to present themselves as a Christian nation. And of course, a Christian nation cannot kill pastors, but they can push them out and that's what they do. So now, then you have a flock without a pastor, without the church building. So of course the influence is very, very limited. So that's basically how, how they work in, in the occupied territories. And in my opinion, you know, the level of persecution uh, in the occupied territories in Ukraine is very high. The Apostle Paul wrote that God has given his church pastors and teachers to equip the saints for works of ministry and for building up the body of Christ. And yet, it seems, in the occupied areas of Ukraine, pastors are being forced out. Congregations are being left, as Maciek puts it, as a flock without a pastor. In next month's edition of The Voice podcast, we'll continue our conversation with Maciek and he will explain how Voice of the Martyrs Poland has been seeking to support the persecuted church in Ukraine. Thank you so much for listening to this edition of The Voice podcast. Please do subscribe through your favourite podcast app so you can stay connected to the voice of persecuted Christians. 
We'd love to hear your feedback on the podcast too, so please do share your comments with us. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn and YouTube. And if you don't already receive our free quarterly magazine or prayer alert emails, then you can subscribe on our website at releaseinternational.org forward slash podcast. Remember those who are in prison as if you were in there together with them and those who are mistreated as if you yourselves were suffering. Do not abandon them 